0: The big number two reason is they don't see career path or career growth and, and development. And that's something that I think smaller companies often don't have the luxury of spending a lot of time. You know, when you're a 30 person company, it's like you, you have bigger fish to fry than what's the exact career path of every person in my org.
1: You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com.
2: Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. We've got Josh Millett today. He is the founder and CEO of Criteria Corp. Josh, welcome. Love if you give a little intro of yourself and your work for the audience.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me on, David. So I'm Josh Millett. Uh, as you said, I'm the uh, founder, uh, co-founder and CEO of Criteria. We've been around almost, we're about to have our 15th birthday, actually. So I've been around for, for a while now. We are a SaaS-based uh, company based in Los Angeles. We also have offices in uh, in Australia as well. We basically uh, help our, our customers make better talent decisions. That's what we do. So We're uh, primarily a pre-employment assessment business, so we we build uh, software that contains assessments that um, help companies make more informed, uh, more confident hiring decisions. In terms of our customer base, it's pretty, pretty diverse. Uh, so anyone who has any trouble around hiring and, and luckily for us, it's a pretty ubiquitous problem, um, struggles with hiring. So we have, uh, customers in a lot of different industries. Most of them are, I would say about, uh, 80% of our customers are North American based. Um, we acquired an Australian company, uh, last year. So
2: have a, a number of customers in Australia as well. Awesome. Well, that's, that's, uh, for uh your travel and vacation and uh and, and building up your so far <laughs>
0: so far i've been uh vexed in my uh in my attempts to get to australia but hopefully soon
2: <laughs> absolutely yeah so talk about you know i mean there's i think probably everybody that's been involved in any way in hiring knows, you know, you would want to assess. And and then once you have people, you know, thinking about upskilling and where are we and keeping inventory on the skills that, you know, what do we need? How do we need it? How do the people fit into that? And I've been around enough to see, you know, there are literally hundreds of different ways to approach this, all kinds of assessments. How do you know which ones are good? It's like analysis paralysis, you know, kind of when you get into this. So yeah, I'd love to shed some light on that because we have a lot of, you know, sort of hyper growth, fast growth type of audience members that are running into this wall all the time.
0: Yeah. And uh, happy to talk about that. You know, a lot of our customers are in the technology segment. It's one of our, it's one of our biggest uh, verticals. Um, but even there where people are using all these cutting edge technologies, using data in every part of their business, we we find that so often, still, the tools they're relying on primarily in in hiring are are basically resumes and and uh, interviews and usually unstructured interviews. And if you think about it, those those are kind of 75 year old tools that haven't evolved all that much, and um, you know are not very good uh, in terms of being methods for evaluating people in an objective way that is predictive of outcomes. Um, and so that's kind of where where we come in. The idea is to To um, build tools that help companies kind of remove subjectivity and bias from the process and just make the best decision. And so, you know, our assessments take a lot of different forms. Some measure things like cognitive ability, others are focused on more behavioral personality traits. We recently got into emotional intelligence uh, assessment, which is a really cool, interesting new area that a lot of companies are more focused on, especially during, during COVID. And then also, obviously, things like uh, skills, which is a little more straightforward.
2: Yeah. So, how do you put that together if you're thinking about hiring people? Like, what what must you have? I mean, it, the whole idea of like, well, we're not going to you know rely just on interviews and gut check, and you know that there's actually data behind this. And then, of course, my head goes to you know, how do I? Well, I know what I want. I have a job description or an idea. You know, how do I map that to the the right stuff to even look for?
0: Yeah. So the answer will really depend on a couple of things. One is just um, the type of position you're hiring for, right? The the qualities you look for, obviously, in a software engineer versus a salesperson are very, very different, and will dictate what types of assessments you use. And also, your your particular organization, right? Your uh, your cultural DNA and the things that make um, salespeople, as an example, successful at one company may not be identical to to what works at another. So there's, there's a number of things that are very context-specific around what kind of assessments you want to use. Our general guidance, though, in terms of how and when to use them is that most of our customers, and, and this, I think, is something, David, that's really changed from, let's say, 10 years ago when we were just getting started, is that a lot of times um, companies are using assessments very early in the process, whereas it used to be, okay, you know I've got my final five candidates. Now let's give them this big, long assessment that'll you know, that'll take an hour and a half. Now the the emphasis is often on shorter assessments that can be used very, we say, top of funnel, right? So maybe at the same stage, you're collecting a resume or a little bit afterwards, maybe. And that way you get this kind of information on your whole applicant pool, not just the people that make it through um, the other hoops. And most of our customers use it that way. And the idea is you can really kind of broaden your applicant funnel when you do it that way. You can... You can uh, begin looking at people who, based on their resume, maybe you would have put on the bottom of the pile.
2: Oh, okay. And so they might show up because of particular traits that you couldn't have read through their bullet points or yeah. their job it's, history or something like that. Yeah,
0: it, exactly. And so I think, you know, if you think about how the sort of modern labor economy works, right, It's it's really oriented around experience. Right, you know, resumes. If you think about it, are just a list of previous experience. Essentially, um, interviews often focus a lot on you know the past roles you've had, and there certainly are roles in which experience is important. Right, none of us would want a first-time brain surgeon you know operating on us. Right, there's there are positions that are highly specialized that where where um, you know focusing on experience is appropriate. But for the vast majority of positions that most of our customers hire for, so things like salespeople, customer service, engineering, really what the data shows is that experience isn't all that great a predictor, especially length of experience, right? If you could really judge the quality of experience, that would be a little bit better. And so what our assessments are doing are essentially looking forward, focusing on potential and and does this person have the uh, abilities or traits that that correlate with long-term success in a role?
2: And so you have enough data having done this for a, a bunch of years that you can probably look at a, a number of different roles and say, we know that these types of scores, if you will, would kind of correlate to higher predictive success in a role like that. So you, I don't know, I'm guessing you need um, you know, high emotional intelligence, maybe a little bit if you're a relationship based selling rep like i would be exactly
0: so one of the great things about doing assessments on the internet is just the velocity at which you gather data Uh, and so um, if our customers come to us for example wanting to know what someone that's successful in a sales role in in the technology industry in the southern united states looks like we can marshal a lot of data on that so we we've um, we've had more than 25 million assessments uh taken at this point so there's just a a ton of contextual data you build up around the assessments that can be really
2: useful and leverage for our customers gain. And so from a customer standpoint, do you go back and check that? How did you develop the predictive ability? Because you would need to know that, you know, person scored X and turned out to be good or not good. So you have like a longitudinal record
0: of some sort. That's right. Yeah. And we're starting to do that through the software itself, but historically. Um, to gather outcomes what we've done is we've done about a little over 200 case studies with different customers in different industries and what you basically do there is you you look back often a period often over a period of a couple of years and say okay you know here are all the test scores for all the people that took the test here are the ones you hired and they're, performance right performance can be in sales it can just be you know how much they sold in in a lot of positions it often comes down to what kind of reviews their managers gave them and then the idea as you said is to is to measure how well you're predicting those
2: outcomes right right so you can get away from the you know we need to hire a unicorn rock star 10x right. you know and, right. <laughs> and, well did they actually turn out to do that and how you know how did we maybe know that uh, a set of traits okay. or behaviors you know might might map to that that's right well that's that's really cool let me let me pivot a little bit into your your founder journey i know this is i believe at least your second rodeo and uh you know so you probably got a bunch of experience to share there i'd love to just hear the story a little bit through the maybe the lessons learned or you know things uh that you picked up over the 20 plus years yeah so i i did have a startup uh before this that um
0: that i sold um, quite early on we were only five employees. Um, and I was on the East Coast at the time. The acquirer was on the West Coast. So that's how I came to live out in California and uh, began working for the acquirer. And after a couple of years, somehow, I still don't know how or why because I, I was uniquely unqualified for it, but I, I started playing a role in hiring people and sitting in on interviews and things like that for, for the company. And uh, that was kind of the genesis of the idea for for Criteria was one of those interviews that I think a lot of um, HR people or people who have been involved in hiring have had where you're sort of like, I remember uh, a minute where it was like seven minutes after the hour and I uh, looked up at the clock on the wall knowing that I had another 53 minutes left in an interview where it was clear the uh, the fit wasn't great on either side actually. And so that was sort of the the spark of, you know, there's got to be a, a better way to do this using data to avoid some of these excruciatingly painful, uh, <laughs> interviews. And, uh, that's where, uh, you know, the idea for criteria came. We started researching the market, wrote a business plan because this was back when people still wrote business plans. It wasn't all decks back then PowerPoint. And, uh, you know, it took a while to find the investors. This is back in 2006 and seven. And, uh, You know, there were not that many people, SaaS was just getting going, right? Salesforce was around. But I remember when I pitched the idea for the company, I'd said, you know, we want to be the Salesforce of assessment. And uh, more than one uh, investor at that point was like, what's Salesforce, you know? So it was was still early enough that that, that that was happening. I don't think you'd have gotten that in the Bay Area, but in LA, you still did, right? At any rate, uh, we bootstrapped the business for probably nine years and only took real outside capital in 2015 when we were at that point, we were kind of like a little bit cash flow positive. So we were um, looking around for the next stage of growth and it seemed like the right time to to take outside capital. So,
2: right, right. Well, the bootstrapping journey is something that we talk about a lot and uh, I've never met someone that was disappointed that they did the hard work for that except in the nature of uh, it does limit your potential velocity you know that
0: that exactly
2: you you can't move fast but maybe you shouldn't have moved fast because a lot of people move so fast that they just hit the wall harder you know so uh, that's right
0: It's sort of like a counterfactual, right? Like, I, I don't know how it would have developed had we gotten money earlier. And it, and it's not like I was like beating investors away, by the way. You know, it's like kind of a forced bootstrapping initially because, you know, the HR tech space wasn't an area that uh, at the time investors were focusing on a lot. And that sort of changed over time with a couple of big um, MA events, a couple of big acquisitions in the space. And all of a sudden, they're starting started being more interest. So then, you know, you have options that you didn't have before. But no, I think like looking back, would it have been nice to be better capitalized sooner? Yeah, we could have moved faster, but you're right. We don't know. We might have made mistakes that come from
2: sort of premature velocity. Right. So. Right. Right. How did you develop a SaaS product bootstrap wise? I mean, it's um, it's a heavy capital outlay most of the time you find that folks struggle to develop a, a technical product that, that can scale that you know actually meets needs and you know doesn't get them into trouble when they do start to scale
0: yeah I mean it, it uh, you know we did have a little capital that we raised it was mostly like my co-founder and I put, put in our own money I had some money from the first acquisition but you know we didn't we didn't take salaries first couple of years it wasn't glamorous at all. And uh, we had a kind of a third technical co-founder, a guy named Wayne, who, who was awesome. Built the whole software himself, so that really helped because uh, David, my other co-founder, and I aren't uh, aren't engineers. So we got a, a away with a lot because we had a great engineer on the team. But you know, it, it sort of was very sort of measured pace. It was never for us. It was never like hockey stick growth, but we were growing at 40 percent a year every year, and that just eventually, you know, you get to a scale where. Oh, that's kind of an exciting number.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and hopefully with the you know the margins that are available on on SaaS, that in fact that is a beautiful number because you can essentially grow from your own uh, available cash flow from revenue. So that's right. How do you handle like the business development stuff? Were you able to? you know, sort of, do you have to, as a founding team, do those initial sales for quite some time? I would guess that's what it was.
0: Yeah, I did some of the early sales myself and we were really good at, we initially focused on um, sort of small and mid-sized businesses. And so we got really good at having those businesses find us on the web. So we did a lot with search, SEM and SEO and And uh, so we've got pretty good and pretty efficient. We were selling the product at a really low price, a low subscription price. So we had to build software that was intuitive and that didn't have too much of a training burden or training lift on it. We got really good at that. And then eventually um, three or four years ago, we started discovering that, you know, the same reasons that SMBs liked our software, some some of those reasons also worked in enterprise. And so we started getting a few enterprise customers, and now that's a real focus for us. Um, originally, it wasn't intentional. We just kind of by accident got a couple of big ones in, uh, uh, five or six years ago and started learning from them in terms of some of the enterprise product requirements. And uh, now about half our business is enterprise, and it's the fastest growing segment. So
2: More security, single sign on, and triple the price, right? All, that good, <laughs> so, stuff. Yeah. All yeah. <laughs> that good stuff. Yeah. I've just had that conversation recently with another. Founder who initially was losing large company bids and couldn't get the respect, and uh, found that we uh, were able to get some competitive bid information and just found that their price wasn't high enough to appear credible in that yeah. space. And I mean, it, you just find that to be the most bizarre thing that, well, if I just quadruple the price, then I uh, can compete better. in enterprise and
0: um, uh, (laughs) it's (laughs) counterintuitive. Yeah, our investor talks about uh, uh, Sumeru Equity Partners who, who, who invested in us a couple of years ago, our, our current investment partner. They, they talk a lot about pricing courage in enterprise. And if you're solving a big problem, and hiring is a, is a big problem for, for companies, it, there's direct kind of bottom line and top line implications for, for bad hiring. And if you can help solve that problem, it's worth a lot to companies.
2: And so what have you learned uh, you know, as, a, as a founder, growing teams? keeping people on a, a vision. You know, there's uh, multiple people at the table, leadership team building, and there's all kinds of stuff that you hear pop up in our conversations. I just love to see what what stands out to you as the critical points in the journey.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a number of things. I think for me, um, so we're, we're around 150 employees now um, and uh, have scaled a lot in the last five years. When we took our first uh outside money uh five years ago we were still only 16 employees so kind of entered a phase where we all of a sudden started growing quicker in terms of our headcount. could invest for growth rather than just managing for for cash flow and for me what i've found over that time personally as a founder is that um, it's the stage of the journey where you need to learn to let go of different things and (laughs) sequencing the order of when you let go of different things is really important you know, as a, as a founder and someone who's especially from a bootstrap business, you're, you're used to being in all, all sides of the business. For me, I was in every area other than engineering, really. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, there's initially this sort of impulse that like, oh, well, I can't let go of that. Things will stop working. And of course what you find, which is very comforting in a certain scale is that there, there's people who know more than you about every area, um, that you can, that you can hire. And that's, um, that's initially like a challenge to to let go there, but ultimately, if you get the right people in the in the right seats, it's immensely comforting too. But for me, I, I know when I, um, you know, I, we've always been very product focused, as an example. And I I wanted to be in every product meeting for a while, and I and I was for a while. And that's just uh, at a certain stage, it's uh, there, there's better people to run those, and and now we have uh, <laughs> a person and, and a team that uh, run those a lot better than I would. So. So for me, it's um, it's partly been about learning where I can have the biggest impact
2: as we scale, um, and where I need to step back. And you did ten times the headcount, roughly, and then I guess the last five years. I'm going to guess that you had a unique opportunity to dog food your own uh, processes and assessments and such. Did you learn anything about the product and change anything? Uh, based on your own experience that you just simply couldn't have had unless you were users. That's interesting. Yeah, we we definitely uh, feel like it's a
0: competitive advantage for us Is we've been, we, we use our own tools. We've also been, I recognize, extraordinarily fortunate to hire an incredible group of people. And then once you hire them, the challenge, of course, for me and, and for the rest of the leadership team is, okay, how do we create a culture that people don't want to leave once, once they're here, right? So, so that's been a real uh, focus uh, for us. In terms of changing the, the product, it is interesting, no matter how much feedback you get from, from users and customers, and uh, they're definitely the best source we've had of, of product improvements and product ideas. You know, there, there have been things, uh, we're, we're sort of the on the small business side, right, ourselves as we're using the product. So um, we're using it as our hiring software. Not just uh, not just for assessments, but we're collecting resumes through it we're, we're doing everything because we don't have a we'll you don't have an ATS out. then yeah we don't have an ATS yet so so for us that did cause us to build in other features that we wanted to use as we were hiring and it turned out on the small and medium-sized business side, those mm-hmm. were were helpful right because other people are using it um, outside of an ATS at that size
2: right because um, they don't have to buy lever or you know one of these other t- tools and then have to integrate with it. Although I'm sure you are capable of integrating with it because you'd have to do that on the larger side. So. Yeah,
0: on the enterprise, it's a totally different experience. And that's where our experience is less helpful because we're not a Fortune 500 company or anything, right? So, not yet, right? Not yet, not yet. So a lot of those customers, in fact, the vast majority of them are using us in an integrated way. And so at that point, the software itself becomes a little less important and What's important is the quality of the integration, the quality of the assessments, and also, and this has really come to the fore in the last three years, is the candidate experience. So the candidate experience of the software becomes really important. So uh, a few years ago, that started shifting a little bit after the rest of the internet world started shifting, I think, but mobile became really important, right? For a while, people, like if they found out, oh, I'm applying for a job, I you know have to take this assessment, they're, they weren't going to do it you know, on the bus. But now they're, they want to do it everywhere. They expect to do it everywhere. So, so really making sort of consumer grade UX became a really high priority for us uh, a few years ago. And that's been a big um, differentiator for us in enterprise because at that scale, those companies, especially if they're B2C, but I think even if they're not, they treat all their candidates like customers. And if you apply to Coca-Cola or Pepsi and you know 98% of the people don't, don't get the role, they want you to still feel warm and fuzzy about the brand, right? So they want to really maximize that candidate
2: experience. Yeah, and so much of that doesn't happen. I mean, there's so many articles about just, you know, I I got ghosted by, you know, all these people and they didn't get back to me and I was trying to do a job search and, you know, I just didn't feel cared for. And I think everybody has started to realize that that vector is critically important, certainly B2C, but then even a, a business brand type of, perspective with sites like you know Glassdoor and you don't get a chance to pull back that you know employer uh branding opportunity if somebody is effectively posting a negative review about your app except it's not your app it's your your company and your your culture and it speaks to that
0: yeah I, I think that's exactly right for me like it was a huge inflection point in the history of employer branding when Glassdoor came along you know, I mean, it, it just changed things. And employer brand had to be something that everyone was aware of, even if they weren't up till that point. I, I know that when investors ask me, like what, what my KPIs are, I always used to say one of them was the glass door reviews. And I, I think a lot of them thought I was joking, but, <laughs> but it's actually something that I, you know, take very seriously because it's, it's a really good barometer of the health of your employer brand.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so do you, let's see, small business, you know, five to, I don't know, 50 folks. And they're trying to think about how might I step into and implement a thing like this. Obviously, they go to your company and just, you know, pay the SaaS bill and, you know, start getting into it. But it's just like, if I wanted to bootstrap or just think about how do I integrate this type of thing from the beginning into my candidate experience, what advice do you have there? Yeah, I mean, I I think um, what I'd say is you know, think about
0: how you're using data across your whole organization, not just in HR and, and, and a lot of the um, businesses that are the size you're describing, they don't even have HR yet. Right. Like we didn't have
2: an HR person until we were a little past post 50 generally, yeah, you we, don't know right a lot of that, you know, sort yeah. of regulatory stuff. Right.
0: That's right. I think for us, it was like 55 or 60. We got our first HR person probably for us. Maybe we should have had it a little earlier, but that's, that's around the time that, that you do that. And, um, you know, if, if you're using data in all the other parts of your business or trying to, you know, why aren't you using it with the most important decisions you're making, which is, you know, who to, who to bring into the organization every day? So uh, for me, I, I would think about like the cost of not doing it. You know, sometimes some of the objections we get from companies that size are the, the frequency that they hire at tends to be quite sporadic right so like in the example you gave if you're a 40 person company maybe if you're growing a little bit you might do like five or six hires a year you know sometimes as many as eight or nine but it's not a constant activity it's like an episode it's like episodic right but if you if you think, think about it sort of aspirationally and what you need to be doing there is even though it's only six or seven or eight times a year you need to think think of it in strategic terms, right? Like how is this hire advancing the, the goals of the organization and how does it fit in? And if you look at it long-term from that perspective and think about the costs of making a bad hire and how much that can set you back, I think ironically, it's more important for customers at that size is because one really bad hire can have a negative impact that it wouldn't have at like a, a giant company where you can have frankly, some subpar hires and survival, Right. So I think it's actually more important to optimize your hiring when you have little room for error. And that's, that's basically where a 30 or 40 person company is. They have, they have less room for error on the talent side than, than an enterprise.
2: Right. Right. Understood. And once employees are onboarded, do you, do you also facilitate and think about, I guess, how to maintain that longitudinal data about satisfaction, engagement, uh, job role fit, evolution of upskilling, skill alignment, and there's all kinds of stuff that you could do there. Is that part of the, I guess, the value prop and what you would recommend? them.
0: Well, it's funny because that's a, that's a great segue to talk about the future of the company, which I know is something you sometimes like to ask. And um, for us, historically, we were really focused on that one uh, important, you know, hire, not hire decision. So we were really all about pre-employment assessments, but there's a huge opportunity post-hire as well. And we started getting into it recently. We just launched our first product there for a, an assessment of ours to be used for more team building, onboarding, learning and growth and development more than you, you know, the upfront hiring decision. And um, it's a big opportunity. And for us, it was like so many things, it was customer led, you know. So people asked us for the assessments they were using, you know. First, they started asking us, "Well, what can I share with the candidate once I hire them?" And our assessments at that point were not really aimed at that audience. They were aimed at the output was aimed at the HR person who's trying to make a decision. And so sometimes the outputs were a little bit judgmental, right? Because you're you're trying to uh, you know inform a decision in a in a measured way. And so we started redoing the outputs to make them shareable. And then that got us thinking about hey, how can we really add value to onboarding or team building? And we sort of had that on the roadmap for a while. And then when COVID hit, we said, hey, um, people might stop hiring for a while here. We should really fast track this, uh, this uh, side of the product. And so we've really begun building it more aggressively. And the initial market reaction has been great. We're, we're excited about the opportunity there.
2: I mean, what it makes me think of is if I, at a certain size, I don't even know who all works for me. You know, and you're out of that sort of two pizza team type of of vibe. And if I'm introducing in one part of my organization a new job or a new role, I would hope that one way to do retention is provide a, a move up opportunity. And if I already had data about all the people that had joined, then I might want to say, Hey, Magic Software, you know, tell me who I already employ somewhere else that I could provide this opportunity to because filling up that entry level role or secondary level role is easier, you know, that I, I could do the same thing and continue to run, you know, my own talent pipeline. And once I had 20, 30, 40 people, I wouldn't even know who all, you know, worked for me and exactly what they did. I might be sitting on a, a gem and not having to do a new hire. In my world, it's the same thing as, you know, can we get more money out of our existing customer rather than try to you know, pay the acquisition cost of a, a new customer. It's it could be vastly more fruitful.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're you're highlighting something. Um, just in the last year, I've heard so much from specifically from enterprises, which is this idea of internal mobility. It's important from a career development and career pathing standpoint because one of the main reasons that people leave companies, uh, first reason, right, is the manager. They, they don't they don't like their manager, right? That's always number one. But that's a whole like, other assessment. You're right. That's <laughs> a whole. That's a different. That's and we can talk about emotional intelligence later, but the the, uh, the the big number two reason is they don't see career path or career growth and, and development. And that's something that I think smaller companies often don't have the luxury of spending a lot of time. You know, when you're a 30 person company, it's like you you have bigger fish to fry than what's the exact career path of every person in my org. Right. But you once you get to, to, to be a bigger company on the enterprise level, that's that's crucial for retention is having that. So if you can, um, as you said, if, if you can um, have sort of a data graph of the abilities and, and, and traits of, of your team, there may be other departments, other geos in the company that that can use that person, uh, especially if they're not totally fulfilled in, in the role they're in. So uh, I think it's a big part of what we're, we're, we're going to be doing in the
2: next few years. Sure. Yeah. And I don't know, as an employee, if if I was, if I was only thinking about my experience, I don't know, let's say I'm an, an engineer, but I happen to actually have high EQ. Maybe the sales org wants to hire more you know, customer solutions specialists. And uh, that technical knowledge would make a huge difference in that experience, the The skill profile would allow me to hop there, But even as the employee, I don't think I would know that as the employer, you could reach across the org and say, "You know, I don't know if this is something that you ever thought about, but we think your profile would be fantastic for this. do you, you know, do you want to move up in the world? So.
0: yeah, that's right. and And that becomes super valuable when the number of jobs that you have in an organization reaches a certain scale, right? And we're even beginning to see that at, at Criteria is we, we're hiring for more different roles than we've ever had before, right? Because we're getting to a, to a certain scale. But even companies much bigger than us, um, they may have like 100 recs open at any point. And so um, it's not—it's often a huge job for, for the talent acquisition department to just uh, be abreast of all those different roles and what, what's required. So if there are people internally that may be a flight risk that could fill some of those roles, it's a huge...
2: Um, it's a huge win. Be able to know that. Well, really, really interesting stuff. Any, uh, I don't know, any final thoughts or uh, the best best lesson you can give for the the founders out there?
0: Well, uh, don't take money too early. <laughs> That's my big, uh, big tip for founders. Um uh, but uh, no, I think if, if uh, people are interested in learning more about us, they can find us at CriteriaCorp.com. A lot of good content there for even if you're not ready to uh, use assessments, you can uh, uh, read some of the content and uh, benefit from some of the best
2: practices that we discuss there. Really valuable stuff. Well, thanks, Josh. Really appreciate you coming out today. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it, David.
1: Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.